This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 24. Last Saturday on February the 11th, 2023, my grandpa Boswell died. Many of you have met him over the years. Uh, Even though his health kept him from attending regularly in person, you could not keep him from attending our baptism services. He uh, talked my grandmother into driving him across town, which is a small miracle in and of itself. And he would sit in his wheelchair to see firsthand what God was doing in our church. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about him. His obituary began by saying, Reverend Ronald Neal Boswell of Fort Worth, Texas, minister of the gospel, beloved husband, father, grandpa, great-grandpa, youth pastor, pastor, Southern Baptist missionary to Brazil, interim pastor of various Southern Baptist churches. And that's all true and wonderful. I'm grateful for each of those things. But I'd like to tell you even more how he began his autobiography. He wrote, I gave my heart to Jesus at the age of 12 when my Sunday school teacher, Charlie Geyser, led me to the Lord. I was attending the First Baptist Church in Bryan, Texas, He presented Christ in an attractive and forceful way. My memory of Charlie's love for the Lord and for us has stayed with me all these years. My call to preach came partly through a church training union study course book entitled The Holy Spirit in Missions. That book, along with a mission trip, made me aware that if Jesus was to be Lord of my life, he had the right to choose my calling. My earliest memory of Grandpa Boswell is visiting their home in Richmond, Virginia, walking up their stairs, peering around the door to his study, and finding him intently looking at the Word of God, surrounded by books, with a little lamp on the corner of his desk glowing. Some of my best memories from the latter years of his life are pretty much the same, knowing that every day his devotion was to the Lord, to his word. Grandpa lived to love and serve Jesus and my grandmother. While walking with the Lord for almost 80 years, he saw many glimpses of the glory of God as people came to faith in Jesus through his preaching and grew his disciples through his teaching. He knew the leading hand of the Lord through his life and his ministry. And I know he felt the sure, warm presence of God as he walked in communion with Christ. And while we mourn the loss of not having him with our family anymore, we are reminded that Grandpa has never been more alive. Not because he was a missionary or a pastor Not because he read scripture so much, but because he places faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And because of that, 
Grandpa is experiencing the glory of God like never before. In our journey through the book of Exodus, we've witnessed Moses walk with the Lord for over 80 years. Do you remember that? We were introduced to him as a baby hidden in the reeds of the Nile River. He was raised in a Pharaoh's home. We saw his youthful ambition to deliver his people and how he met his wife Zipporah and began their family. We read of his return home to free his people and how God worked through Moses' life to deliver the Israelites from slavery. And through it all, we've seen Moses live his life to love and serve the Lord. Moses saw glimpses of God's glory in the burning bush and through the ten plagues. He knew the leading of his Lord through the wilderness wanderings as the pillar of cloud and fire led their way. And surely he felt the warmth of God's presence. Yes, at the burning bush. Yes, at the gathering of Sinai as God's presence was there. But now, Moses will experience the glory of God like never before. Not through death, but to use the words of C.S. Lewis, by going further up and further into the presence of God. In Exodus 24, 12 to 18, Moses is summoned by God to return to the top of Mount Sinai. There, he not only receives the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets by the hand of God himself, he also receives a divine invitation to enter God's glory in his presence. This brief scene also sets the stage. It's like an introduction for the rest of the book of Exodus, setting the stage for God to give to his people instructions for the tabernacle where he would not dwell atop a mountain near them, but right in the middle of his people. He would dwell among them. This passage centers around the word of God and the glory of God. And there are two responses from Moses recorded that also remind us to respond by first believing the word of God and second, beholding the glory of God. I invite you to stand your feet once more if you're able. As we read now from God's holy word though written long ago, speaks to us today. Exodus 24, 12 to 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 
40 days and 40 nights. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first response from Moses I'd like to draw your attention to is to believe the word of God, verses 12 to 14. Before we get to the main idea of these opening three verses, we notice that the scene is set with detailed information about who was there and who was where. Pay attention, because the inclusion and position of these people is important to future events in the story of Scripture. Note in verse 13, Moses' assistant Joshua is not left at, with the people. He's not even numbered with the elders, but taken with Moses higher on the mountain. This is important because it removes Joshua from the sinful events that will soon happen at the foot of the mountain below. If you want to read ahead, you'll find that in Exodus 32. It also foreshadows Joshua as the one who will lead the Israelites into the promised land when Moses dies. Notice also in verse 14, Moses puts his brother Aaron, my brother Aaron is here from Canada this morning, his brother Aaron and a man named Hur in charge of things while he's gone. And if anyone has a problem, they're to take it to these guys. And this is important because Moses when he comes back down the mountain after meeting with God, Aaron is the one responsible for allowing Israel to build and worship the golden calf. Let me just take this opportunity to remind you that nothing recorded in Scripture is by accident or error. Every word matters. Which leads to the main emphasis of these verses as we observe Moses, the mediator between God and his people. He's summoned by God to ascend Sinai again for the sixth time in his 80s. He is a spry fella. Notice he's instructed not to storm the hill, but come up and wait. Come up and wait. And we've noted how much of the Christian life is that, right? Hurry up and wait. And God will, in time, give him the tablets of stone containing the law and the commandment. There are two important pieces of Holy Scripture that are addressed in this scene. The Ten Commandments and the Tabernacle Instructions. Let's look at both of them. Regarding the Ten Commandments, we heard in Exodus 20... The thundering announcement of the ten words spoken by the very voice of God. We read in Exodus 24 the permanent statement of those words written by the hand of God. This is the origin story of one of the most important symbols of the Old Testament. The law of God. God speaking to his people and choosing to write these Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Stone was a favorite material used in the ancient Near East when you wanted to record important information. We often see the tablets presented with five commandments on one and five on the other so that when you hold them side by side, you would see all ten. Um, what we know through 
more research is that's not the way that ancient Near Eastern people cut covenants, but they made two replica copies for each party involved. And so what we know is that the 10 words were placed on both copies of these stone tablets. Normally, you would give one to one party, one to the other. Notice God gives both of them to Israel. Why would he do that? Because God will never forget or change his word. He gives both copies to them, and they put it in the most precious place they can find, inside the Ark of the Covenant, we read in Exodus 25, 16. Second, we learn it is here that the tabernacle instructions are given to Moses. Lord willing, we'll be looking at the tabernacle throughout the spring. But so we don't forget, let me point out that these verses set the stage for the occasion of when God gave Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle. This is why it's here in the story. Exodus 25, verse 1, if you just move one verse past our passage today, informs us what God was speaking to Moses about as he enjoyed this lengthy stay on top of the mountain while everyone else below wondered, will we ever see Moses again? If you, fl- if you flip through Exodus chapters 25 through 31, you'll find detailed record of what the Lord instructed Moses and the people to do, to build a place where God could dwell among his people. Circle your thoughts with me around the final phrase of verse 12, which I have written for their instruction. The Hebrew phrase is to teach them, which comes from the same root as the word Torah, which many of you will know is our word for law. And here we find that God's express purpose in giving to Israel his law, his commandment, is not to give them a new burden, but to form them into a particular type of people. He will be their God, they will be his people, but he wants them to know what he's like. We saw in each of the ten words, God demonstrates his character and nature to his people and also forms them to be a holy people, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests through whom God would bless the nations of the whole world. Now, I've held in my own hands original copies of some of my favorite books and hymnals throughout church history. Your eyes would start rolling in the back of your head with boredom if I started telling you about some of them. Um, But I've also held a few other interesting artifacts like Lottie Moon's glasses, you know, don't know who Lottie Moon is. That's a wonderful afternoon of Googling for you. Um, I've held in my hand some of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. Um, I've held an autographed Nolan Ryan baseball. That I'm pretty sure, James, if I'm right, that became mine when we got married. I mean, you brought it into the marriage, but now we share it. And that's how that works. And then I've... <laughs> And I've also held some important old copies of Scripture. But imagine being Moses and holding with your very own hands these stone tablets that the finger of God etched on. Can you imagine that? Where would you keep it? 
how would you treat it? Yet I propose to you that the scripture we hold in our hand is in a way more remarkable than those tablets of old that Moses held. Why? Because we don't just hold 10 words, but the entire written revelation of God. Moses didn't have the whole word. The sacred book comprised of 66 books that we hold today. Our confession of faith says this, that these words were written by men divinely inspired and it is a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction that it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. That it reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. The Ten Commandments were given for their instruction. Holy Scripture from Genesis to Revelation was given to us for our instruction. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says... All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what we hold. And so let me ask each of us, do you treat God's word as if it were the very words of God? You stand under its authority even when culture tells you a conflicting message. We want to grow deeply in our faith in Christ. We must grow deeply in the word of Christ, the scripture. And to believe the word, we must first receive it and then stand on it, sit in its truth, and obey it as what we confess to be the supreme standard of our lives. I thought about this hymn this week. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. And it is these words of God that we hold that point to the glory of God in Christ. The second response from Moses, I'd like to draw your attention to is to behold the glory of God. Verses 15 to 18. The subject of the glory of God can be a difficult thing to define, almost as if it were too glorious for words. But we will try. Glory comes from the Greek word doxa, which means weight or heaviness. And in Scripture, God's glory is always associated with God's presence. John Piper describes it like this. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness. It's the going public of His holiness. It's the way He puts His holiness on display 
for people to apprehend. There are two truths about the glory of God in these verses that are meant for us to apprehend, to lay hold of, to believe, to enjoy. Verses 16 and 17 help us. The first aspect of God's glory we see is that it dwelt on Mount Sinai. It's no small thing to say the glory of the Lord dwelt somewhere. Unapproachable, inexhaustible glory of the Lord rested on Sinai. It could almost be translated, the glory of the Lord camped on Mount Sinai. And so, in the midst of the glory of God that camped on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses instructions to build a tent where God will camp with his people as they camp on this journey. You can spend time with that sentence later. There's a lot of camping. The point is that God's glory is dwelling with his people, this remarkable reality. And this has been God's intent from the beginning, for his glory to dwell among his people. Do you remember the garden? God fashioned Adam and Eve out of his own joy, in order for them to enjoy his glory. He walked with them in the cool of the day. Through the book of Genesis with the patriarchs, God gives to our forefathers his word, revealing his glory, speaking of his holiness to them, calling them on this great adventure of faith. Even in Exodus, we have seen uh, God dwelling among his people, dwelling near his people in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. We will soon learn. This is amazing of God's plan to dwell among his people, right in their midst, to tabernacle among them. That's what awaits us this spring. I can't wait. The second thing, the glory of God it says was like a devouring fire. The word like is very important there because Moses is entering into this cloud of devouring fire. And let us not forget that the presence of God is not something to take lightly. Perhaps the people down below could feel the heat of God's presence emanating from the cloud. And I wonder what they thought if their hearts were filled with fear, like we sometimes see, or with wonder, like we see in other times, even here at Sinai, as Moses, the mediator, courageously and fearfully, cautiously, carefully, upon God's invitation, enters the cloud of God's glory into the very presence of God. Notice he couldn't just casually walk in. He was made to wait for six days, no explanation is given why. Perhaps you think about Exodus 19 where God says, I'm coming. Before I come, take a few days to fast and make yourselves right so that I can meet with you. Or we'll see later in, um, I think, chapter 27 or 8, you'll find it. Uh, the priests are told, seven days you must consecrate yourselves before coming into the presence of God. I just want to notice that Moses, even Moses, 
the greatest of the prophets, must not enter the door of God's presence too quickly. And this, I love what Moses chooses to tell us here. He says, I was there 40 days and 40 nights, just enjoying the word of God, relishing the presence of God, 40 days. And a lot of details are left out. We don't know. Like, what did he drink? Well, it doesn't say it, but we know that he drank from the well that never runs dry. What did he eat? doesn't say. But we know he feasted on the word that alone can satisfy. For 40 days, we have a hard time being in God's presence for 40 minutes without getting distracted or bored. Moses spends 40 days in communion with his maker. There's something there for us to learn. It was wonderful having Dr. Moeller here last week. Uh, at Southern Seminary, we have an, an old seal that contains two images. There's uh, the scripture and a dove, or as we call it, the word and the bird. That's how nerds joke. Yeah, the word and the bird. So the scripture, this seal reminds us that points us to the scripture which reminds us of the centrality of the word of God in the life of a believer. The dove represents the spirit of God that illuminates the passage to blind eyes and opens it to deaf ears. It also reminds us of the presence of God. This one little seal reminded me of this scene, the word of God and the presence of God. And here at the conclusion of Exodus 24, we find both of those things front and center. Imagine what it must have been like to be Moses and to walk into this cloud of God's glory, the burning, fiery, thundering presence of God. Imagine just being Joshua. I would like to just be Joshua and be near enough to see it. Moses beheld the glory of God and in his beholding with courage drew near to the Lord, drew near to the Lord into his very presence. How remarkable. Still, this this blows my mind. Moses' experience is still nothing like what you and I have known through Jesus Christ. That feels like quite a reachy statement, boss. Well, let me tell you what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 17. We looked at this last week, where he says, Many prophets, like Moses, and righteous people, like Moses, long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. What is the thing he's talking about? The glory of God in the face of Christ. As the apostle John opens his letter, it's by teaching us The place where God's glory was made known, not for seven days, not for 40 days, not on a journey through the wilderness, but once and for all through Jesus Christ. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. 
For from His fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. As we have experienced in Jesus, the Word of God made flesh. The glory of God in flesh and blood. If you fast forward in the New Testament to the the transfiguration, another mountain, another cloud, another prophet, we see there what happened with an even greater prophet than Moses. Scripture says now about eight days, this is Luke 9, 28 to 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him, this is Jesus, Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Even that alludes to what we see happen later in the Pentateuch with Moses. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what a scene this is. Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses about his death and resurrection. Peter and those who were with him, they were heavy with sleep. When they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And and then Luke goes on to record, a cloud came. We've seen a cloud this morning, haven't we? Here's yet another cloud that came and overshadowed them. And Luke says they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Perhaps Moses was afraid as he entered the cloud of God's glory as well. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So brothers and sisters, we have believed the very word of God in Christ Jesus. We have seen with eyes of faith the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And there is beauty in the act of beholding. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of that word behold. Sometimes it's used as a prophetic vision in Scripture, like we saw them behold God. But I just want to put this back in front of us. To behold does not mean just to see. To behold means to see with understanding. To understand, to apprehend the thing we are beholding. To look intently at something. And you and I have beheld God's glory in Jesus. What a remarkable gift that is. We're also called to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that alone is where life and sustenance are found. And no other place. At the end of 2022, I, I felt spiritually depleted. I needed renewal. I needed to look again to the glory of God in the face of Christ and behold my Savior. And and I remembered the words of James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
And I, I just wonder if that would apply to anyone else. Any of you grow weary in your walk with Christ? Any of you eyes grow dull of beholding his glory and you look at other things? If you've been adopted through the completed work of Jesus, you were made for this kind of glory. To know the glory of God, to enjoy the glory of God, to proclaim the glories of God. It's your right by birth, by rebirth. The Apostle Paul gets at this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15 say, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain to lay hold of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do with that? Well, he tells us, So then, brothers, sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Well, what does that mean? That means the writings of the New Testament i.e. the word of God. You see how even here through John and through Luke and through Paul, you see the combination of the glory of God and the word of God meant for the people of God to bring life in God through Christ. And that is exactly what's been given to us. The only way to draw near to the holy God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We cannot approach him any way we choose, but only how he told us. Let me say to a group of healthy-looking people, like my grandpa died last Saturday, each one of you, should the Lord tarry, will face the wave of death. You cannot escape it. It's the result of sin at work in this world. The only way at the wave of death to enter into the glory of God and not the eternal judgment of God is by believing in Jesus to forgive you of your sin. It is the only way. And you are not promised tomorrow. This could be the last time any of us see you. And so I plead with you on the authority of God's word, proclaiming to you there is a glorious God who created all things. And because of our sin, all things are now broken. But God, out of great love, sent his one and only son to live the life that you could not live, to die the death that you deserved, so that when you come to die, you will not enter the judgment that is rightly yours, but enter into everlasting glory. And I plead with you, if you're not right with Christ, if you don't know forgiveness of your sins today, repent of your sin. Call upon the name of Jesus and he will save you. The word of God and the glory of God. Next week, Lord willing, we will begin to explore what God said to Moses in the cloud of his presence. For today, I want to stop with our thoughts centered on the very truths our passage centers on. The word and the glory 
of God. And may these two responses recorded of Moses in this scene also instruct us how to respond rightly, to believe the word of God, and to behold the glory of God. Let's ask for his help. Lord, we thank you for every word that you've spoken. How on every page of scripture you make yourself known. Revealing your glory and also teach us to be a receiving, believing, obeying, worshiping people. We ask for your grace and your help. God, with every step. Until you call us home. And we experience glory like never before. I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 